2: Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. Today, we're back to our positional review series. We get into running back today, and then we dive back into the ultimate division crossover, AFC North Division, today led by Chris from Lockdown Steelers. We're going to look at the Steelers season in review. I'm going to disagree with him about some of the moves the Steelers made. He will defend the Steelers because that is what you do. When you are a fan of a football team. So let's get in to our position review at running back. And then we'll get back in to our AFC North division crossover. The next position in our series seems pretty straightforward.
1: You've got a young stud running back in Joe Mixon. Who in 2018 led the AFC in rushing. And in 2019 after a slow start. The Bengals hit the bye week. Figured out the run game. And was arguably the best running back in the league over the second half of the year. He's young, he's productive. It seems like this is a no-brainer that he's your number one going into 2020, and he's the guy who's going to carry the team and the offense. But the NFL is at a bit of a crossroads with running backs right now. The positional value, how to pay them, how to figure out how to use them, and how often you should be running the ball, and if it even matters, are big components to how teams are building themselves and making championship runs. Teams like the L.A. Rams and the Arizona Cardinals are looking to get out of their contracts already just two years after signing Todd Gurley and David Johnson. Both guys expected to be shopped and or released this offseason. While it was the Dallas Cowboys after a brief holdout with Ezekiel Elliott that caved to his demands making him the highest paid running back in the league. While the L.A. Chargers did the opposite. They called Melvin Gordon's bluff. He sat out the first half of the year and then was outperformed by undrafted free agent running back, Austin Eckler. There are many ways to go about this. The way teams go about this seems to be uh, splitting between the old school and the new school. Do you have a quarterback? Do you not? Because when you look at the two teams that went to the Super Bowl, the Chiefs, Last year, releasing Kareem Hunt made no real effort to replace him at all. Instead, the Chiefs went with undrafted Damian Williams, who had 140 yards rushing in the Super Bowl, but really the Chiefs didn't rely on the running game at all. While the 49ers paid two running backs in free agency, Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon, and it was undrafted Raheem Mostert on his sixth team, outplaying those two high-priced free agents. By the time each of those teams made the Super Bowl, they figured out that these undrafted players could carry the load on offense, and the team would run behind them. For the Bengals, though, Joe Mixon has been their 1A now for the last three years, and the big mistake they probably made in making this future decision was last year they extended Giovanni Bernard and paid him a decent amount, but then didn't use him. And I think that caused a bit of a conundrum of wondering, if you're not going to use him, and you're just going to lean on Joe Mixon, why did you pay Gio Bernard the money you did? Because the Bengals are still at at this current rate without even paying Joe Mixon in the top half of the league for running back salaries. And that's all because of Giovanni Bernard's and because half the teams in the league are not paying veteran running backs. They're just choosing not to because the history is not on their side. So when you look at it, the Bengals tried to do what some of these other teams did in drafting late round running backs and hoping to hit a boomer bust player. One was Rodney Anderson out of Oklahoma that, if he was healthy, was probably a second-round pick. But, of course, he fell to his fate, which was that injuries plagued his entire career in college. He played a little bit in the preseason, had a knee injury, and missed the entire regular season. So there's one pick down. The other sixth-round pick, Travion Williams out of Texas A&M, was hurt at the beginning of the year, nothing serious. But then, as he was healthy for most of the year, the Bengals gave him zero... Carries and really never knew what they had in Williams, which is a big mistake. It could have given them a glimpse of okay, maybe Giovanni Bernard is the insurance policy in case Joe Mixon holds out for this contract, but who's the backup to Gio? Who's that other guy? Is there a young guy in the stable that can come in and carry the ball or give you some extra juice if you need it? Yeah, they didn't find out with Travion Williams last year, and I think that was a big mistake. So I think they're kind of hamstrung here. They don't have many young core players coming up that need contracts, on offense especially. It's really just Joe Mixon. And when you have a young quarterback coming in, you'd like to have a veteran running back, a guy that you can lean on, a stud running back, to carry the games that where your quarterback is struggling. And while I do think this offense is eventually going to be molded for Joe Burrow, what about the next two years? And I think that's where Joe Mixon has value to the Bengals. And I think this deal ends up getting done, and he shows up as the 1A guy. And probably someone you should target in fantasy. In other news, the Bengals filled out their coaching staff by adding Troy Walters as assistant wide receiver coach. Walters was the offensive coordinator for Scott Frost the last four years at UCF and at Nebraska. He also played eight years in the NFL for Minnesota, Indianapolis, Arizona, and Detroit. So connections there again for Zach Taylor and Nebraska where Taylor played. So more hires of familiarity.
2: That was Joe on the running back position and a little bit of news for the Bengals. And without further ado, we get into the Steelers. I get to talk a little bit of speculative smack. We'll be there in just a minute.
1: Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, the, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKED ON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E com. Promo code LOCKED ON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, Faster Choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles.
2: Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back, unlike most hikes. This challenging it's easy going down hard coming up kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona, take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visit Arizona.com slash spring training.
0: All right, everyone. Welcome back to the AFC North ultimate division crossover. I'm Chris Carter, host of lockdown Steelers. I'm here with Kevin, Jeff and Jake it's day two, which means we're going to team two, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers, fellas. It's great to have you guys back for another day, and now we get to talk about the team I have to talk about twenty four seven. And I figure I want to start our talks around getting just the division standings on how people feel about what was the most defining moment of the Steelers season, which wasn't a play, it wasn't, it was, it, it wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't something that happened that stopped them from making the playoffs. It was, well, I guess it did stop and make the playoffs, but it was in one day when the Steelers knew they they lost Ben Roethlisberger for the entire season, and on the same day trading for Mika Fitzpatrick, after seeing it play out for a full season, the Steelers just missing the playoffs, but Mika Fitzpatrick being a first-time All-Pro guy, and Ben, you know, how old is he? Is he coming back? What has been you guys' reactions? We're going to start with Kevin from Locked On Ravens, but what has been your reaction to how you've read how the Steelers dealt with that situation?
3: Well, I'll give you my immediate reaction first, Chris. And I personally wasn't a huge fan of the move at first, but looking throughout it, or looking at it throughout the entire season, and now talking to everybody here today, it was an obvious win. And the Steelers really had to make a decision. Ben Roethlisberger was done for the season. They had to say, "Do we trust Mason Rudolph at the time? Mason Rudolph to go and lead this team to the playoffs?" And what do we need in order? to make that happen. The Steelers needed secondary help. if Fitzpatrick was available. A guy who the Ravens were actually looking at, and there were rumors that the Ravens could maybe give up a first-round pick and a second or two firsts for him. There were a lot of Ravens fans clamoring for Fitzpatrick, and there was no denying Fitzpatrick's talent, but he just came into Pittsburgh a turnover machine, a ball magnet. He's under team control for a long time. It's pretty much saying, all right, we're going to give up a year or two of control here to get a player who isn't going to break the bank until a few seasons down the line still gave pittsburgh a chance to win and really turn the season around for pittsburgh now we could say if mason rudolph played a bit better if devlin hodges came in played a bit better this team we could be talking about potentially even Probably not the AFC North champions because 14-2 and was a hard record to beat, but we could potentially be talking about the fifth seed here in the AFC and looking ahead to next season. And we'll get into that in the next segment, but talking about what Fitzpatrick brings to this team, saying publicly that he wants to move around the defense. Such a team-first guy and a guy who, when you look at the Steelers' pass rush, something we talked about yesterday – if the pass rush, touches T.J. Watt, Hargrave, Tewitt, and Hayward, all those guys, once they got to the quarterback, the quarterback had to make a decision. Either take the sack or throw the ball into a secondary that now stouted and now had Minka Fitzpatrick along guys with Joe Hayden, Steven Nelson, and the like. So when Roethlisberger went down, Steelers had to make a decision, and I think they ultimately did make the right one there.
0: Yeah, it's funny because it's it's there's a there's like there's a divide when it happened there was I'd say there was a 50 50 divide among Steeler nation you had certain writers saying this was great I was on the pro side I thought it was a great move because I was like they're not going anywhere this year and the idea that they might get their I thought they were always gonna end up right in the middle of the draft you know 18 19 they never had they never finished in the top 10. So I was like, they, this, this is like getting a top 10 pick by getting Minka Fitzpatrick. And, uh, you know, and I know he was part of why they finished 8-8, eight and eight, but that was why I liked it. Uh, Jeff, your take from Locked On Browns on how that impacted their season and you seeing the Steelers. The Browns beat the Steelers for the first time in several years. And, uh, you know, but they also saw Minka Fitzpatrick and how the team sort of shifted throughout the season.
4: Um, For me, the move um, at the time, I I guess there's no way you can question the move. I mean, you brought in an absolute stud in the secondary. Um, But for me, it's more of, you know, you look at it now where it's at. Look, I mean, the whole point of bringing in Minka was let's beef up the defense and see if we can make this a playoff team. Obviously, they fell a little short. Um, And what we got to see this year is there is no life after Ben Roethlisberger on the roster. I believe everybody in the room, even you, Chris, agrees with that. There is no life after Ben on this roster. And for me, it just seems, you know, you look at Phillip Rivers now is going to move on. Eli Manning has retired. And it seems like, and I'm not saying you, Chris, necessarily, but it seems like a lot of Ravens, a lot of uh, Steelers fans are just like, well, Ben will be back. At 38 years old, after an elbow, killed his entire season, I guess week two, week three, whatever it was. He'll be back, and we'll be fine. It seems really weird to just say that about a 38-year-old quarterback. Look, you know, Ben looks like the, you know, the high school hero who's now been the 13-year offensive line coach at his alma mater, and, you know, he's already got two ex-wives. You know, he's no more athletic anymore. We get all of that. But my question is, is, you know, it seems weird and no first-round pick, and we realize that Duck ain't it. We realize that Rudolph ain't it. And so they're going to go into this year and look, it could go really well, but if it doesn't, you know, then are they going to fall back a year or two? Because without a first round pick, they're not sniffing any of the top quarterbacks this year. So I think they have a lot invested in what they think Ben can be this year. And it just seems really weird that we're like, you know, I mean, you look at baseball, you look at anything where there's arm injuries. And all of a sudden, you know, what if Ben ain't got the fastball anymore? What you know, what if he ain't got, you know, the precision? What if he ain't be able to drop balls in space? And either way, the make a move is fine because you got a stud. And for him to say, I want to move around more, which is funny, because that was the same thing he said to That's get like out of Miami. Out in Miami, yeah. Yes, well, I know I want to be this. What? Well, no, you're, you know, this is what it is. This is the year and the era you play in. You are a great defensive back. So we're going to put more on your plate because this is what we want from you. So it, it's it's weird that he's saying this now because it was the same things he used to get out of, my, out of Miami. But either way, you got yourself a bowler. Um, you know, obviously Minkett grew up 15 minutes from me here in Jersey. He's a fantastic player. I don't have an issue with the player or the move. But my question is is, you know, this is all based on, you know, Ben coming back and being normal Ben. And if Ben was 28, I'd say, all right. Saddle up, let's roll. But at 38, it seems a lot. It seems really, really disingenuous to just assume he's going to come back and be who he was.
0: So, Jeff, that's a very good question, and and I think that that's where a lot of Steelers fans are at. A lot of people think he's going to get back to being you know 2014 through 2019 or 2018 Ben, where he's slinging the ball all the time. But I honestly think the Steelers don't plan on and are relying on him to do that. I think that they'll rely on him to be a play caller to know the offense but to also know when to switch out of having to throw the ball too much um, and go to a running game. Now they have to develop a stronger running game for next year, and that's what I think their top pick will either be a really strong offensive lineman that falls to them or one of the top running backs that fall to them because I don't see a lot of teams picking among this running back crop too early in this draft. So I think it's going to be more so about they're going to they're not going to expect Ben to lead a top 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 10 offense anymore they're going to say hey get if you can be what you were in your first you know four or five years with the team which is the last time that they won the Super Bowl with him uh and not necessarily in how you play but in how how often you throw and how much production we get out of you that I think that would be more conducive to the way that they're building their roster uh but there's a lot of time before the draft and free agency and who knows what's going to happen with the Steelers moving forward, but wanted to get to Jake on the same topic. I know we've, we've talked about this a few times on air and off air. Where do you, you stand out the seasons done and over with.
2: So I'm going to, I'm going to come at this, right? I'm going to punch holes in this because the Steelers are not my boys and I've been traumatized since 2005. Thanks to Kimo von Olhoffen. So here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with, looking to make a Fitzpatrick in a vacuum started out with the Steelers a little shaky, right? Doesn't really get it going. Has three amazing games, has some interceptions in the first six games or so with the Steelers. And then his last few games with Steelers still good, but not great. I would argue he didn't have an interception after what week 10. So he He goes, that's okay. He's not getting his hands on the ball. He's a free safety, right? So I'm just looking at his play right? You're right. He's not targeted a lot, but he's not getting his hands on the ball either. So I don't know how you avoid a free safety. I haven't watched the tape on all these games, but I'm just looking at his ball production. And so that falls off a little bit, but beyond Minka Fitzpatrick, and he could be a very good player for the Steelers. That's neither here nor there. The Steelers gave up what amounts to the first team out of the playoffs in the AFC draft position to get him in a year where they don't have a quarterback. Then they go on, as you point out, after a really bad start to finish eight and eight but the strength of victory for the Steelers is 324. The Steelers go 8 and 8, but they beat the following teams the Cincinnati Bengals twice, which, given, the Bengals are bad this year. The Los Angeles Chargers, who were bad this year. The Miami Dolphins, who were bad this year. The Los Angeles Rams is probably their best win. They missed the playoffs. Indianapolis Colts, Jacoby Brissett, never going to be impressed with that kind of win. They beat the Cleveland Browns. They beat the Cardinals with their rookie quarterback. And that's it. Those are the teams that Pittsburgh beat this year. So you have a close loss to Seattle. You have a close loss to San Francisco early in the year before they figured themselves out, right? You have a, a blowout loss in week one to New England. And then down at the end of the year, you have a loss to Buffalo, who, good team, right? Playoff team. You lose to New York, who's terrible. And then you lose... To Baltimore. Did Baltimore play as starters in Week 17? I wasn't watching. No, they so, did not. So the, the end of the year doesn't go great. So I'm just sitting here wondering, are the Steelers just fool's gold, right? Is this 8-8 eight and eight record a lot better looking than perhaps the quality of the team?
0: So, I mean, I do think that there's merit to that. Um, you know, it's always funny. People... When you when you, when you want to say oh I, I like this team but oftentimes when you look at teams' record you could do that for a lot of teams that win unless you have a team like where like the Steelers in 2008 they had the hardest strength of schedule when they when they won the Super Bowl then there's but a lot of times you could poke holes and say like like the Browns last year everyone's like okay well wait a minute slow down a lot of their wins were against teams that had losing records and didn't make the playoffs and then you know you saw how it played out this year um, my biggest thing with the um my, my biggest thing with with the Steelers and two years results I do think people do need to keep their uh, keep their pants on when it comes to uh, expectations Um, but I also think that when you look at a lot of those games people underestimate how bad Devlin Hodges was and how limiting he was to their offense and the fact that you know don't forget you know yeah they had the close loss to in Mason Rudolph's first ever appearance in the NFL, but then his first ever start was against the Niners, the NFC champions. And they were like one, they were a James Connor fumble away from winning with Mason Rudolph's first start ever against those, th- those San Francisco 49ers. I-, I think that the Steelers, they do need to make several steps, but I'm also, I'm not on the train that I don't think that they're completely out of it. When it comes to next year, they're just going to be some bums and, and get washed away. I think that if, they'll be hovering around the, eight and eight to 11 and five point this time you know when, when when they're going the next year if they get if they get the if they get a healthy bend back and they get a running game i think that changes a few things but they don't i i think that that if they're if they're relying on mason Ruff next year yeah they're toast but that's that's my take we're gonna be back give a few more of these takes right after these commercials
5: If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Welcome back to the AFC North Ultimate Division crossover. This episode focusing on the Steelers and how opponents across the division are taking on How that season just progressed. Now, going back to Kevin, locked on Ravens, the ultimate matchup that we know is going to get played up by the NFL when they announce the schedule. I guarantee you that at least one of the Ravens game, and they always are, but at least one of those games will be a prime time event or a four o'clocker that CBS just like blows up with Jim Nance and Tony Romo or whoever partners with Jim Nance this year. And I guarantee you all week you're going to see the promo of Lamar Jackson versus. TJ Watt and Nick of Fitzpatrick, and that's going to be the hype of the game. Now, granted, the Ravens swept the Steelers this year, but they were they they were an overtime uh, an overtime fumble away from maybe tying or or losing to Devlin Hodges with Lamar Jackson having three turnovers in that game. Kevin, what are your what is your outlook on? And we talked about Lamar Jackson and the hype that I think is real around him. What is your take on what the Ravens have to do to keep building? around him to get ready to pl- to play the Steelers' defense and how it progressed last year.
3: Well, I mean, when you talk about that Steelers' defense, and we talked about this a bit yesterday, Chris, it's that pass rush, TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and those guys give a lot of teams problems, and we'll throw out the week 17 game because the Ravens didn't play their starters. The Pittsburgh Steelers were decimated with injuries. So looking back to week four, you're right. An overtime fumble away from the Pittsburgh Steelers, pretty much stealing that one from the Ravens. And it's easy to think about, well, what if that did happen? If, if Juju Smith didn't fumble that football, Devlin Hodges came in after Mason Rudolph was literally knocked out of the game in more ways than one. And Literally almost propelled the Steelers to victory, finished seven of nine for 68 yards. Not the gaudy stat line that everybody would expect when talking about that. But I think that Hodges played really well in that game. When you look to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially from a standpoint of Lamar Jackson, they forced him into some bad throws. Lamar Jackson did not throw a lot of interceptions last season. But the one that I think was his worst came against Pittsburgh when it was towards the end of the half. He threw and Stephen Nelson, I believe, picked it off. It's just a terrible throw by Lamar Jackson. And I don't say that often, especially not from this past season. But part of that and most of that had to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers pass rush. Ronnie Stanley was one of the best pass protectors throughout the entire NFL, earned the best pass blocking grade from pro football focus. He and the rest of that Ravens offensive line, they were still trying to bond, still trying to gel. And the Ravens were on a bit of a down streak, losing to both the Kansas City Chiefs and Jeffs Cleveland Browns. So it's safe to say, well, what if the Juju Smith-Schuster didn't fumble that ball? Would the Ravens have finished 14-2? Would they have had... That momentum next season, looking ahead for the Ravens, they have the cap space in the draft capital, assuming they don't do any more extensions. The Ravens signed Chuck Clark to an extension yesterday, but looking at the Ravens looking to play the Steelers, they have to get that pass rush in check because Lamar Jackson, we all know he can scramble. We all know he can make something out of nothing, make magic appear out of thin air, and the Ravens need to get weapons in order to help him do that, and when you look at the Steelers, they are playing... With a bit of fire here with James Conner, I think looking ahead to the offseason, are they tired of James Conner getting injured? Are they going to look to the draft, a drafter running back in the first two rounds? If they get a healthy Ben Roethlisberger and if they get a sound rushing attack, the Ravens struggled with their run defense. But I'm still confident that if that happens for the Ravens, they will address their weakness in the defense, which is their run game. But overall, Chris, I'm just looking for two very solid, very entertaining and very high powered football games between these two teams.
0: Absolutely. I, I look I look at this at this as a potential, you know, blockbuster when it comes to ratings, because everyone, whether you like or you don't like Lamar Jackson, he is a talking point for the NFL. And he will be for the next few years, at least, depending on how he plays. I mean, I, I remember after the eight, the the Pro Bowl skills competition, when there was like that Clay Travis guy who came out and said, oh, look at Lamar Jackson. and I'm like, mm-hmm. Stop, cool. uh, but uh, you know, either way, Lamar Jackson's a talking point. Steelers-Ravens has always been a draw, and I, I just, I look, I, I'm, I'm with you. I very much look forward to those games because that's going to generate so much talk, and it's going to add to what's been a great rivalry, and I, I'd say the best rivalry in the of the division uh, over the past two decades since the Ravens have have uh, have have been formed. Uh, Move forward to the team that the, that stole their team from. The, the, from Cleveland, we're going to move to, to Browns. Um, Jeff, I wanted to ask you, because I'm sure Cleveland maybe they haven't moved on all the way, but I'm sure they're ready to put everything behind them about Miles Garrett and how this season, it looked promising. Like the, the night, like like we were talking about off air. With eight minutes to go in that game, you're everyone in Cleveland is like, man, we're beating the Steelers handily in our own stadium. The season's looking up. And everything's going right and then everything goes haywire. What has been your read both on the team and the fans of Cleveland and how they look at the Steelers and how that they you know, and just the rivalry that's always been with with them, even when even when the Steelers are dominating, there's still always just that that hatred between the teams that things do pop off between them. What did it get your feel on where both the organization and the fans are on that right now? Oh, I'm sure Jake
4: would agree with me. It's nice that you and Kevin are having the little love fest here, like you guys are the two best you know, <laughs> rivals within the division. Um, and I think we all agree everybody hates Pittsburgh. Um, I think that's probably the two games you circle. Here. Jake, Kevin, you're probably with me here. Um, it's win the Pittsburgh games. Um, and it's not eight minutes. It was eight seconds. That Thursday night primetime game, it was, you know, and go with the old Charles Dickens line. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I'm sitting here getting ready to do a post game show. Yeah. Took down Pittsburgh. All right. Absolutely beautiful. Everything about it. Oh, my God. What just happened? And the thing about the entire situation with Miles Garrett was it was for the NFL. The NFL knows the guy the man that Miles Garrett is. It was like he's not Vontez perfect and Jake. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I mean, you know that. But it was just like, oh, my God, we just got a really, really bad situation on field, on primetime, from a guy that is nothing like this. Miles Garrett's in an Apple store, and there's some kid trying to buy a new iPhone, and he's short on money. And Miles Garrett's like, yeah, I'll pick up the tab. And, like, this is just the dude he is. Like, the NFL, like, they, they love to punish people. But every now and then they get in a situation where somebody's got to be punished who – does not fit the criteria. And it's like, well, we really got to punish him hard. I'm not stunned whatsoever that he was told, this is it, your year's over. We said it on that post-game show that night. For me, honestly, the worst one was Demarius Randall getting suspended for the follow game in Pittsburgh. How did Pittsburgh win? Duck Hodges hit a couple of long balls. Like, look, you lose your star for whatever reason, whether it's injury, whether it was the – and I will say it was a freak incident because Miles Garrett is like, he's like the biggest, strongest, fastest, badass nerd that ever walked the planet. But somebody pushed him to his point and he lost it. You look at players like Demarius Randle, who got suspended for that game due to the fact you of know, the game at Pittsburgh. Where, and so Duck Hodges hits a couple of long balls. And all of a sudden the season was over and it was, you know, like other people, well, this and, and fans, well, Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett. Well, no, this game was close. This game was within range. How about talk about the guy who got suspended because he was too lazy to show for freaking practice, or he literally said the words on a thirty-one degree day? It's a little too cold to practice outside. Seriously, um, you were playing the game in Pittsburgh. It was going to be outside. It, it just gets so weird to cover like like we all do it, and you cover these teams as deep as we do, and some of the idiotic minutia that comes up and. When we're talking about this said safety, who, you know, a year ago I was like, wow, you know, maybe he's looking at a four-year, $40 million deal, 25 guaranteed. You heard anybody even mention this guy's name to this point? Yeah. Everybody, oh, these are free agent targets. These are free agent targets. Demarius Randall,
0: I mean, his name has gone literally like stone cold. But, but the, the, the other, uh, just to, Just to build off where you're going with this, Jeff, the other thing about this is even after – even after like like Baker Mayfield went on Thursday Night Football's like the the the, the post game show and said this is unacceptable, and the Browns you know tried to put this to bed. Then kitchens you know there, there was the Pittsburgh started it shirts, and then kitchens was seen wearing the Pittsburgh started it shirt. And then I mean I'm telling you, I was at Heinz Field and I just watching these Steelers come in with the with their own shirts, and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a thing. And, and then it became a thing, and then just what I, I wanted to get the sense of where where everyone is at like post because now not only you have that game, you have the game where the Steelers beat the Ravens, or not beat the beat the Ravens, sorry, beat the Browns. I sometimes I sometimes conflate stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I look at I look at the I look at that and I'm just like man like how how does Cleveland feel after all of this craziness happened in what looked like their year to finally come out from being in the in the basement. I mean they they weren't in fourth place. That was the Bengals that we'll get to you in a sec, Jake, but they but they weren't the team that was they they weren't the, the the ultimate doormat of the division they they were competitive this year
4: i think if you look at the way this went down and look this comes from the gm and the gm is responsible i mean you had all those assets from the previous regime as far as you know draft assets and you know a lot of people want to poo poo it oh well this turned out this way and you know he did this and that he didn't deliver i mean i i, I we literally put together Better drafts in 2018 and 2019 than this GM did. And his problem was, is look, you know, he wanted Freddie to be head coach of this team. And then when it got to about mid October, we're not sure he can handle it. He doubled down. I want this guy. Freddie's going to be all right. We're going to get this done. And then when it came to the end of the season, when nothing got done, John Dorsey told the owners of the team, keep Freddie. We'll get this right. So literally he tripled down. So that's how they're both gone. Um, basically, what it was is, you know, you had, and look, you, even with the misses he made, you still had Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, Joe Schobert, Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams. You had seven safeties. You had a pretty good, an offensive line that showed well at the end of 18. You had Odell Beckham. You had Jarvis Landry. You had Nick Chubb. You had Baker Mayfield. You know, sometimes you got to put your big boy, big boy pants on. They didn't get it done. Whatever happens with this current regime, the thing is, it's going to be aligned and it's going to be unified. Whether it works or not, it's the first time Cleveland has done this. And I don't care if it's playing blindfold, throwing darts at yes or no on every decision you make, at least that's a plan. This is the first time this has happened where there is unified choices and decisions to be made under a Haslam regime here in Cleveland. I don't care what their method is of getting it done.
0: At least everybody's on the same page. I hear that. With that, we'll move on to the Bengals. Uh, Jake, of course, everyone's talking about how Joe Burrow is just the automatic first-round pick. The, the, the Bengals aren't even on the clock. We know that's what they're doing. What is your prospect of of how he can do in his rookie year, considering the Bengals, I forget the name of the tackle that they lost, but he, you know, he, was, he was their first-round pick last year, and he didn't even get to play that much uh, at all um and what is your take on what they need to do to build around Joe Burrow to get ready to play teams in the AFC North but especially the Steelers.
2: Yeah, I think that there's a lot that they can do to improve the team. You look at their draft needs this year, it's quarterback in the first round and then after that you can say well they probably shouldn't take a running back. Joe Mixon's pretty good. They probably shouldn't take m- maybe an edge player cuz they feel good about Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard. But then you look at the rest of the roster like, yeah, you can make an argument for any other position on this team that that they could make improvements here. And this is coming off a year where the defense wasn't on the same page for the first half of the year. They did get a lot better in their defense in the second half of the year. But how much of that is Wolves gold Too the same way that I questioned it with the Steelers and their strength of victory? The Bengals were playing a much softer schedule in the second half. So that's something that they will have to figure out. But as far as building around Joe Burrow, they do get back, as you mentioned, Jonah Williams, the first-round tackle from Alabama, who consensus, I believe, top tackle in the draft in 2019. Unless you have concerns about his 33-and-a-half-inch arms, he should be fine as an NFL tackle. But they still do need to make some improvements on the offensive line, especially when it comes to that matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to echo a little bit of what Kevin said here in that the pass rush is the most concerning part for me in that matchup. And I said that I wasn't ever going to say anything nice about the Steelers, but I will say that Stefan to it, that defensive line is a solid unit. TJ Watt. I have to admit that I was wrong about TJ Watt. He got better. He had a first couple of years where there was a lot of ah. sack production, but then he he backed that up and rounded out his game and was consistently getting pressure on the quarterback. And is starting to look a lot like his brother in terms of the amount of disruption, that he can offer for defense. So for the Bengals, they need to solidify that offensive line. I am very concerned that they feel better about that offensive line than they should because of some strides they took down the stretch, again, when they were playing teams without much of a pass rush. But if it's Bobby Hart, again, at right tackle, and a bunch of guys who can't figure out who wants to actually take that left guard job, then I'm worried about Joe Burrow getting it done. But then you turn on the tape of Joe Burrow, right? You look at 10 Nguyen's timeline today. For He's a writer for The Athletic. He says, I could put together a 10-minute highlight reel of Joe Burrow just escaping the pocket. And that's it. 10 minutes of it. And I'm like, yeah, do it, please. And I, I want to see it. Get me pumped up, right? But that's going to be a hard environment for, for Burrow to thrive in. And they're going to have to build the offensive line properly. They're going to have to bring back A.J. Green. They're going to have to adopt some principles of that LSU offense, namely getting more run pass option in the offense, getting more deep shots worked into the offense, which means they need a deep threat. That's the thing, right? They need to find the guy that's going to be healthy and stretch the field. And hopefully that's John Ross. Hopefully that's AJ Green. But just a lot of questions, right? More questions than answers. And we'll have to see how they spend their money and spend their draft capital. And I assume we'll talk about that tomorrow when Joe and I get to run the show.
0: (laughs) All right. So my last question for you guys, it's so this is sort of a question where it's like playing chess against yourself. You want to make sure you want to challenge yourself on both sides of the board. But I wanted to ask you guys going down the row, um, starting with Kevin from, uh, from locked on Ravens. What is the, if you were to be the Steelers GM and you weren't trying to sabotage them because you're, 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 you're covering another team. But if you were the Steelers GM, what would be your outlook on this off season what they should prioritize, you know, a big talking point here is should they keep Bud Dupree and what should they prioritize in the NFL draft and maybe moving in free agency. They don't have a lot of cap space right now. I mean, they practically have none, but um, you know, the team is, it's kind of obvious. They're going to get rid of a few big, big, big name guys or big number guys, like uh, Anthony Ticcolo, Mark Barron, Ramon Foster, just for starters, that would get them in the range to be able to make some moves this off season. Kevin, if you're the Steelers GM, And you're actually playing for the Steelers. Just your insight on how the Steelers play from an opponent's perspective. Where would you go if you're the team?
3: I think for the Steelers, it's just about being smart with their money. Is this the year where they should spend it? Or is this the year where they should kind of let some of it roll over to next year? I think they going to be smart with their money. You talk about last offseason, Dante Moncrief. And Mark Barron, not the best free agent signings in the world. I think they need to prioritize a running back in terms of making sure that they have a viable backup option for James Conner if he goes down, someone who could maybe even take over the reins. But overall, just be smart with the money and understand that this might not be the huge offseason to spend big. Maybe you get Ben Roethlisberger's cap hit off the books next offseason and you have more money to spend there.
0: All right, Jeff from
4: Lockdown Browns. Um, well, I hope they don't steal my draft board like they did last year where they drafted Betty Snell, where they drafted Justin Lane, and many others. Um, uh, and I, I kind of agree with Kevin. I kind of agree with Jake a little bit. Um, you know, was that 8-8 eight and eight legit? And you bring Ben back now. Obviously, you know, you have the, you know, obviously whether or not you're going to extend Juju um, and Bud Dupree. I mean, are you going to go really heavy on defense and say, you know, we'll play small ball? which makes some sense and but the other thing is you have no life after ben you know is he going to play two more years at his age who knows uh, is he gonna be healthy enough to play this year there's some questions for pittsburgh but uh, so for me i would probably just beef up the defense and say look we'll be good on one side of the ball and we'll see how our chips are going
0: to fall all right jake from locked on Bengals.
2: i think that they should go after an outside receiver and i don't think they have the money to do it but I feel like they were really hamstrung, given quarterback play, but I feel like they are missing that dynamic playmaker that left with Antonio Brown and all of his antics. Not that Antonio Brown is, is the solution anymore, right? Like, he's 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 gone. But Juju Smith-Schuster showed, and he has a chance to take a leap, right? But I think that he showed that he benefited a lot from the presence of Antonio Brown, given he's young, he could take a step. But I'm looking at an outside option. Maybe it's Emmanuel Sanders, right? There's a free agent for you. I don't think they're in position to go after a guy like he Amari said, Cooper.
0: He burned his bridges in Pittsburgh. He's right, so you have to a find player. a
2: guy like that, right? And and yeah. looking at the list of free agents, I, I don't know. Maybe he's not out there. Maybe they need to make a trade. Maybe they need to chase Stefan Diggs or something like that because mm-hmm. they're not going to go after A.J. Green, right? Like that's never going to happen. And then the next guy is Robbie Anderson, yeah. I guess. Brashab Perryman, he came on this year. And, and so maybe that's not where they go. Maybe it's just more of the same. Build that defense. Try to win with the defense. Find a replacement for Mark Barron. Make sure that you feel good about your corners. Make sure you're healthy and replace Bud Dupree's production. Get uh, Who was the guy that got hurt on the defensive line? Was it Tewitt?
0: Tewitt? got yeah, he was out for, he missed like basically three quarters of the season.
2: So, you got to make sure he's healthy for the year, right? Because when he goes down, that's a big player. And then Javon Hargrave. So, they have some, I think their big decisions are their own guys. And, namely, as we talked about, Bud Dupree and, and Javon Hargrave, because those are both very good. I, I don't want to necessarily say players, because I'm not sold on Bud Dupree yet, but at least they got a lot of production. And Stefan Tuitt is a very good player, has a great track record there. And then outside of that, I, I would look for an outside receiver somewhere, and I just don't know where you find it. Maybe in the draft, because the draft is deep there.
0: Yeah, this is the year to draft a wide receiver, even in the middle rounds. But um, but yeah, great points by everybody. Thanks for doing the crossover. This has been another episode of the AFC North Ultimate Division Crossover. Tomorrow, we'll be back. We'll be doing the Bengals-focused episode of the AFC North Ultimate Division Crossover. We'll all be back as a group. Be sure to tune in.
5: A hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music.